a couple things before we dive into this morning. One, if you have your Bibles, get those ready. Uh, we're going to be in James 1 today. But a couple of encouragements. One, keep on coming to church. I know it sounds really simple and it sounds like something obvious that a person on Sunday morning would say, but keep coming. In fact, don't miss a Sunday. Don't do it. For this series, this James series, I would just say, commit to coming as much as you can. Now, if it's snowing, if you're a bad driver, stay home. <laughs> you know, or call and get a ride. Uh, we don't want you to get hurt. But otherwise, make it a priority. Have you noticed that this world will never tell you that making God a priority is a good idea? Have you, have you noticed that? That you're not going to find it on TV or in the movies? You're not going to have people around you telling you that it's a really good idea to give God um, your best, to give God Sunday mornings? You know, I worked at a doctor's office. No one at the doctor's office was telling me that going to church was a good idea. I'm a biology major. Do you think any of my professors were telling me that spending Sunday mornings at church was a good idea? No. They made fun of me. But, you know, by us coming to church, we're telling the world, we're telling our friends, we're telling our family that we belong to Jesus. Right? There's a statement there that we belong to Jesus and that He matters to us. That being a part of the body of Christ matters to us. So keep on coming to church and then, too, keep on pressing into godly community. Don't give up. I I, I feel like a lot of people quit on, on this thing we call church, but... Don't give up. Don't quit. I don't spend a lot of time talking about attendance because numbers really aren't what get me going. A lot of people, little people, it doesn't really uh, drive me that much. But I shared this stat at the membership meeting a couple weeks ago, and I I wanted to share it with you this morning. So exactly two years ago, so January 2012, our average Sunday morning attendance was 75 people, which is awesome. 75 people. This month... We're averaging 175 people. In two years, which is not a lot of time, we have doubled in our attendance. More than doubled. And and the reason I bring that up this morning is if you're sitting here this morning, there's a good chance that you're pretty new to this whole thing. New to LifeSpring. New to this family. Even if you've been here one or two years, that's still fairly new. And remember, it takes time to come together as a family. Right? Even in our own natural families. It takes time to build relationships, to become familiar with each other, to, to, come, to become familiar even with where we've been, where this, this church has been around for, what, 12, 13 years, the, the faith journey that this church has been on, what we're about, where we're going. And if you're only coming once or twice a month, and if you're not a part of a life group or another group that meets during the week, I mean, you can do the math. If our services are around 90 minutes, if you came half the time to church, that's 26 <laughs> services a year. That would be 39 hours in the entire year that you came. That's less than a work week, right? 39 hours that you would invest to make face-to-face relationships, connections, friendships, praying, worshiping together as a congregation. Uh, kind of hard, right, to grow as a family when you spend less than 40 hours a year in fellowship with one another? And here's the deal, life man. The reason I bring it up, I don't want that for you. I don't. I don't want that for you. I want you to experience real Holy Spirit-led community. 
where others are encouraging you. Others are praying for you. And you are encouraging others. You are praying for others. Why? So that in the name of Jesus, we can all go out into this dark world and be the salt of the earth and be the light of the world. Knowing that we got a family that's got our back, right? A family that's praying for us and supporting us. So this morning, maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but I just want to encourage you, jump all in. Right? Just all the way in. Don't be afraid. Join a life group. Come to the concert Sunday night. Invite a friend to come with you. Sign up for the outreach team. Be a part of the next outreach. Check out one of the women's groups that we have. Check out the men's group. Check out Salt or Light or Converge or whatever. (laughs) Whatever. It's just so important. Because we want to, as a church, our mission is to send you out. Send you out as influencers for the kingdom of God. That you would make a difference in this world for Christ. But to do that, you've got to have two things. One, you've got to be connected to the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus. And then two, I think you've got to be rustling with some branches. Right? Rubbing elbows with some branches. So with that being said, man, I'm so glad you guys are here. You made it. You did it. I mean, hallelujah. Today is awesome. I thank you, worship team. You guys are incredible. That was, it was an amazing time. But just keep on coming. Invite your friends, especially those who don't know Jesus. Love them enough to bring them to Jesus. God loves you. And I know that he has something for you this morning. He loves you and he wants to speak to you. So let's dive into the word of God. If you have your Bible, you, you have it open to James 1, hopefully. Maybe if you don't bring your Bible, get an app on your phone. You can get it on your phone or a tablet or your Kindle or whatever you got. Just turn it on, get it out, and we'll read the word. But before we do, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are here with us this morning. I, I just pray that you would soften our hearts this morning. That we'd be open to receive what you have for us. That you would just truly speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you would teach us what it means to live for you, Jesus Christ. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to hear, Lord. Speak to us. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to invite Kyla Ferris up to the stage. We're actually going to read all of chapter 1 today. Um, Sometimes we just kind of take snippets of the Bible and that's kind of weird. So... We're actually going to read the whole chapter and kind of get a feel for uh, what, the, uh, what James is, is writing to us. But don't you know that when you, when you hear the word, that um, sometimes thoughts come into your mind, right? Just as you go through each, each word, you're like, huh, that's interesting. And sometimes they're really deep theological thoughts. But then sometimes they're just kind of quirky, like, why did you say that? That's kind of funny, and that's odd, and... That's embarrassing. I mean, is that ever happened to you? Right? I, I'm, I'm not going to bring up the ones that I'm thinking of right now because they're really objectionable and inappropriate to say from the pulpit. But they're, they're in the Bible. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to read it. And uh, we're going to hear maybe a couple of things that um, Kyla Ferris would be thinking. So verse 1. James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Greetings, huh? Not a hello, hey, how are you? Man, this guy must be serious. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Pure joy? Seriously? I can't fake my joy? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. 
tossed by the sea. Dude, I love ocean analogies. The ocean's my favorite. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. Pride. Pride, huh? A group of lions is called a pride, right? Hey, I'm going to go see the Lion King next month. Oh, that's so cool. Okay, Kyle, come on. This is important. Okay. Be prideful of humble circumstances. All right. Man, have I had my fair share of humble circumstances. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, and blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. I love flower analogies. Flowers are my favorite. (laughs) Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Trials. So, like, when I got in that car accident, and then literally a week later, they put in a light in the same intersection? That'll have a reward? Dude, God, where's my crown? When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. God does not deceive, nor is he deceived. See, sounds good. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. Does that mean that heavenly light doesn't cast a shadow? Awesome. I love it when we radiate heavenly light, we aren't shadowing anybody. i got to use that sometime. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Chose to give us birth. Man, do I love babies. Hey, God, thanks for making babies so darling and cute and not gross. <laughs> My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. I've got the listening one and angry one down, but slow to speak? I don't have all day to wait around for the right time to say something. Why do you think they made Twitter? Jesus, I'm going to need help with that one. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. There's the word deceive again. You're really trying to get that point across, aren't you, Jimmy boy? So I need to keep my eyes peeled for the devil's tricks. But that's the thing, they're tricks. So how do I identify them? The word planted in me that can save me. Jesus, help me to stick to your good and perfect words so that I can filter out the temptations and sin the devil is trying to get at. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Dude, like that Justin Timberlake saw mirrors. He had no idea his lady friend was always there for him. He would just turn around and forget she was there, but she never left. She was his reflection. Or something like that. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will bless, be blessed in everything and what he does. Well, we, are, we are free when we use the wise words of the word. This is such a blessing. That's so good. I'm going to underline that. Maybe tweet it later. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. 
Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To keep from being polluted by the world. How much do we let everyday junk, the devil's tricks, get to us and keep us distracted from what really matters? A lot. My heart gets terribly weighed down because I forget that God brings me freedom from everything that makes my heart feel like a 60-pound brick. Jesus, help me to understand that in a world of deception and trial and hardship, you're a constant, authentic friend that relieves me of the world's weights. Help me to use your word as a weapon against the devil's trickery and temptations. I know my actions reflect how I truly feel, so help me to use them as a light without shadow instead of a lie that isn't how I honestly feel. Please forgive me to what I've already messed up. Thank you so much for giving me a chance to be obedient to you. You wrap my socks off. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up for Tyler? <laughs> Many musings of Kyla Ferris. <laughs> so today we hear James's main point that he wants to make in this letter. That Christianity is not just about believing in certain things or believing in certain ideas or just claiming to have faith. No, Christianity is about having a life, pay attention, it's about having a life transformed by the gospel. In other words, it's not just hearing God's word, but it's actually doing it. For sure, you've you got to hear the word first, right? Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. You've got to get the supernatural cork of the Holy Spirit to plug that leak. Let the word of God take residence in your heart. Let, it, let, let your life even just shine, right? Radiate the truth of God's word. And everything that you say and everything that you do. So today is all about receiving God. Receiving the word of God. Allowing it to transform you to such an extent where you would begin to put your faith into action. Putting your faith into action. It's what being a Christian and this Christian life is all about. So let's take it section by section. We're going to start in verse 19. 19 through 21. Let's actually read this together if we could put it up on the screen. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, as you read that passage, and really, as you read James, you are hit with a lot of instructions, aren't you? They're just instructions, one after another after another. You can begin to get the impression that James believes that having a right relationship with God and getting to God is all about doing certain things. You've got to do this, this, and this. And whatever you do, make sure you don't do this, this, and this. Well, that's the wrong impression. Yeah, yes, this letter is full of moral instruction, but it isn't for the person who's trying to get right with God. It's a letter for people who are already Christian. You see this in verse 19. It says, in verse 19, it says, My dear brothers and sisters. Who are the brothers and sisters? They're us. They're, they're, they're Christians. People who are already a part of the family of God. So those of us that are Christians in this room, here's the question for you. I, I'm not trying to trick you, but here's the question. Are you in right standing with God? Yes, you are. And it's not your doing that makes you a Christian. But it's accepting what has already been done for you. And, right, and having right standing with God, who does all the doing? God. Absolutely. Jesus is not by your works. It's by the work done on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21. This is really good. It says, For God made Christ who never sinned 
to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Isn't that good news? We are made right with God through Christ. And it's really important to see the book of James through this lens, that the letter is intended for Christians, for people who are right with God, already brothers and sisters in Christ. And so through all these instructions, he's not telling us how to have a relationship with God. Instead, he's reminding those of us who are Christians what this relationship looks like, what a life transformed by the word of God truly looks like. One of the first things he tells us, he says, hey, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, because human anger it doesn't produce the righteousness that God desires for you. No, see, you've got to get rid of all the filth, get rid of all the evil that's so common in this world. Have you seen how common it is? Have nothing to do with it. No, see, you, brother and sister in Christ, you accept the word of God, the word that has been implanted in you. The word, by the way, which has the power, say power, power. has the power to save you. Accept the word that has been planted in you, planted in you. Who does the planting? Yeah, it's not you, right? It's God. Listen to James 1, 17, 18. Uh, Pete went through this passage last week. Listen to what it says. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of all he created. I want you to see that James is telling you that you are saved not by anything that you have done, but by what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Follow me, verse 18. He tells us that God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. He gave us birth. He gave, meaning it was a gift. He gave us birth. The Bible tells us that when we receive this gift, the old is gone, the new has come. We are a new creation. It's a new birth. Maybe you've heard this phrase before. Maybe you didn't know what it means, but that we are born again. Have you ever heard that before? I'm a born again Christian. I'm a born again believer. Well, that's the truth of any of us who are here in Christ. We are born again. We are a new creation. It's a new birth. And verse 21 says, accept the word that has been implanted in you. Accept this new thing, this word that saves you, accept it. Accept it. And meaning, allow it to influence you. We were just talking about having an open heart and being open to the things of God. Don't be opposed to that word. Accept it. Allow it to change you. Allow it to mold you, to transform you. Accept it. Because James, he writes, and as we read this, I think we all know Christians who have been born again, who are a new creation in Christ. But they don't accept the word that's within them. You see this in how they live their lives. The way they live their life doesn't line up with the reality of who they are in Christ. You ever see someone like this? Their their thought process, their decisions, their actions, the things they say and the things they do, they don't line up with who they are in Christ. They are still double-minded, right? Like a wave tossed in the ocean. They are unstable in all their ways. They're not accepting the word that has been implanted in them. Instead, they're allowing the moral filth and the evil of this world to entrap them, to bring them down. Have you seen this? They're confused. Their hearts, their minds, their souls, they are confused. They don't fully understand who they are in Christ. This happens all the time. In my encounters as a pastor, as I pastor people, I see Christians who have who are trying to live this life, and yet there's this misalignment. They don't understand who they are in Christ. And if you've ever met someone like this, maybe it's you this morning. This person is the most miserable person 
to be around. But you, brother and sister, you, fellow Christian, be aware of who you are. Accept the word that's been planted in you. You have a new life in Christ. It's just the way it is. It's just the truth. You have a new life in Christ. And James tells us there's certain characteristics of this new life. He says, you as a born-again believer, you consider it pure joy as you persevere through many trials. You, a person of God, you have faith in God. You have a faith that's been tested. You, brother and sister, you have a hunger within you. You have a heart to listen to God's word. You are the one who asks God for wisdom, who seeks God for wisdom. You are one who is quick to listen, who is slow to speak, and slow to get angry. That's just who you are. That is a part of the new life in Christ. What does it look like when those characteristics aren't there? Hmm? What does it look like when it's the opposite of James' instruction? What does it look like when we don't persevere? What does it look like when we don't have faith, when we are controlled by our doubts? What does it look like when we don't take the time to seek the wisdom of the Lord, seek and ask for wisdom from God? What does it look like when we're slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to get angry? Well, it doesn't look like Christ. And it doesn't look like a follower of Christ, but sometimes i got to tell you that's exactly what I look like. There are times when I just blow it, right? I mean, I've had enough. I'm done listening. I'm angry, I got things to say, and I'm going to say this. We've all done it before. Most of the time we understand about when it's all done that we were wrong. It's the sign of an immature Christian. And by the way, immaturity or maturity in the faith has nothing to do with how old you are. I've seen 60-year-olds who are very immature. I've seen 16-year-olds who are very mature. But when we grow in our spiritual maturity, this is the beautiful thing, when we grow in our spiritual maturity... When we lose our defensiveness, when we stop trying to find our value in what others think of us, we become truly satisfied in Christ. Satisfied in Jesus. And once we're satisfied in Jesus, listen, we are able to interact with God and interact with others in a way where we are quick to listen. Where we are slow to speak, slow to become angry, patient, patient. And when we live this way, here's the beauty of it all. When we we live this way, it opens things up. It opens things up where we really begin to hear the voice of God. Right? Because we're not distracted by all those thoughts of ill will or resentment towards another person or even hatred toward another person or getting even, right? You ever been consumed by that, just that thing of wanting to get even with another person? Those are the thoughts that easily distract an immature Christian. So the Word of God and and the Holy Spirit help us, train us up so that we can walk in the righteousness that God desires For us, a spiritual maturity. It's so beautiful. Don't you just love hanging out with people that are like that? Come on, right? That that person that you know who who is like this, uh, Al Lynn in the back. He he is completely this guy. Ray Mayer, if you know Ray Mayer, he's this this way. Adeline Moore, a beautiful representation of this. You know who else is like this? This fits Pastor Adam to a T. It absolutely does. He is well beyond his years in this area. Me, I would get on you like that. Many of you have first-hand knowledge of this and experience of this. I am a spitfire. I come into situations just like, whoo. And he's like, wow. And I'm like, whoo. And he's like, wow. And I'm like, ah. And he's like, wow. You are the wow. 
to my <laughs> But I love that. It's so good. There's a spiritual maturity to you. And I love that. I'm not saying don't be bold. Be bold. Be strong. Be courageous. But do it in a way that shines the righteousness of God in your life. Now it's hard because we all bring into this new life, this born again life, a lot of stuff of the flesh. It doesn't just quite fit in, right? Into this new way of living. There's some baggage. Baggage that we bring into the equation. Baggage of past experiences. Baggage of our upbringing or our family or bad choices and decisions. Baggage of flat out sin, right? Sin. That keeps on rearing its ugly head again and again. Some of us bring into this life our natural born ability to lie. We're professional liars. Some of us bring in self-esteem issues or trust issues or identity issues. And we bring all this into our new life. And we don't know, or I don't know if you've noticed, but these things, they rear their ugly head at the most inappropriate times. Oh, why, why? Oh, just, right? Oh. <laughs> it just comes out. It gets expressed. And you, and you can just feel it, that they are opposed to this new life that we are created in Christ to live. That's why James, he says in verse 21, he, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Get rid of the evil that is so prevalent. All these things, they just need to be laid aside. Get rid of. Remember, Christian, ultimately the best life. The best attempt to live righteous before God, outside of Jesus Christ, Isaiah says is like filthy rags. Right? That's what the prophet Isaiah says. Filthy rags. You, you will never get into right standing with God on your own. So as Christians, whatever you were doing or not doing before Christ, whatever righteousness we had on our own, it gets laid down. It gets set aside. Good or bad, it gets set aside so we can focus our time, our energy, our resources to this new thing, to this new life, to the good work that God has begun in us, now that His Word has been planted in us. That, by the way, we have accepted. I know I've already talked about this, but the love that James tells us, it is planted in us, planted in us. For me, this visually just nails it. Planted in us. Think about salvation. Think, think about what it means to be a Christian, to be a new creation. The Word of God, it falls in the soil of our hearts, our hearts who have been prepared by the Holy Spirit, right, to receive the Word. And the Word is welcomed, and it takes root, and it begins to transform the soil. Do you see the imagery? And it begins to grow within us. And then what begins to be expressed through our lives is nothing less than who? Who? Who gets expressed through our lives? Jesus, the character of Jesus himself. We begin to see expressed in us and through us what Paul talks about in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then James in 21, he's absolutely right when he tells us that the person who has allowed, accepted the Word of God to be planted and grow and develop and produce fruit is saved by the Word. So good. Verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Say, do what it says. Do what it says. 
How simple is that? Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away, immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Here's your tattoo for today. Tattoo it where you can see it. Don't hide it under your jeans. It's do not merely listen to the word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Say this with me. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The topic sentence of the whole letter. In fact, you just begin to skim through the rest of James. The rest of James, it unpacks this message of doing the word, not just hearing it. From this point on, he addresses issue after issue. James takes the word of God, which has been implanted in our lives, and now he's helping to put it into practice. The reality is he's bringing up these issues because there are Christians around him who are failing to put their faith into action. James sees followers of Christ who have the word, the word that gives everlasting life, yet he doesn't see it taking root. He doesn't see it growing into action. He doesn't see it producing fruit. And so he uses this wonderful analogy. He says anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. Be blessed in what they do. All right. So if you listen to the word, but you don't do what it says, you're like somebody who gets ready in the morning. You look at yourself in the mirror, seeing what you look like, but immediately you forget after you leave the bathroom. But is that who we are as followers of Christ? Is that who you are? Is that who you are? Are you the person that looks in the mirror and then you forget when you leave? You're not. You're not. You're just not. It's a new thing. You're not. That's not you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the ones who look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. You must believe that. You are the one who look into it. You continue in it. You don't waver. You don't stop. You continue gazing into the perfect law day after day after day, allowing it to direct what we say, what we do. And as we yield to this perfect law that brings freedom, we are blessed in what we do. You want to be blessed? That's what it says in the Word of God. You will be blessed in what you do as you follow the perfect law. Now, I want to press a huge pause button. We have just hit a doctrinal fork in the road. Commentaries widely disagree on what the perfect law is. For some of you... This is going to be the first time you've ever heard this. I'm so excited for you. Growing up as a kid in the Presbyterian church that I attended, a great church to grow up in, by the way. But if you were talking about the perfect law, you were talking about the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, right? Charlton Heston, you know, all all that stuff. (laughs) And many of us Christians, we directly associate the perfect law that brings freedom as the Mosaic law. And if we do this, we're missing out. See, if there's one word you need to remember as a Christian, it's the word new. Would you just say that with me? New. Christ is making all things new. Jesus, he gives us a new command to love each other as he loves us. In Christ, we have a new birth. We are a new creation. In Hebrews, we are told that in Jesus, we're no longer under the Old Testament, but instead it's the new, I mean, Old Covenant, but instead it's a new covenant. I want to read a scripture in Hebrew. The author of Hebrews, he's quoting an Old Testament prophecy of what God told the people would happen under the new covenant when the Messiah came. Listen to this. It says, this is the covenant I will establish with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law, laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God 
and they will be my people. I will put my laws in their minds and write them where? On our hearts. Because of Jesus' death and his resurrection, this is our current day reality. Did you know that? This is who we are. God inscribes his laws on our minds, on our hearts, or in our minds and on our hearts. Contrary to popular teaching, this is not the law of Moses that is written on our hearts. It's God's laws. It's the very nature of who God is. Jesus and the New Testament writers, they talk about God's laws. A lot in the New Testament. And in fact, James calls these laws the royal laws. Remember that? Uh, if you've read your Bible, James 2.8, and it is love your neighbor as yourself. The law that gives freedom. First John, uh, listen to what he says. He calls them God's command to believe in the name of Jesus or in the Son, Jesus Christ. And what? Love one another. Jesus sums up God's laws, His commandments in Matthew 22. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. Galatians 5.14, it says, read it with me. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. John 15.17, Jesus is speaking. He says, this is my command. What? Love each other. Love each other. This is the great thing. First John 5.3, he says, um, we are told that his commandments, we're supposed to obey them, but that his commandments are not burdensome. And then, here, still, still the deal. This is where logic takes me. So his command, love God, love others. His commands are not burdensome. And then John 14, 15, it says, those who love him will obey his commands. You see that? If you love me, you will keep my command. Now, some of you who are bound by the law, who are in a performance-driven Christianity, that verse really stresses you out. But, oh, no, you know, I've I got to keep his commands. I'm not doing a good job keeping his commands. This should encourage you. This is who you are. You're a brother and sister in Christ. You keep his commands. You keep his commands because God's laws are written on your heart. You're a new creation. You're born again. You're a child of God. You're a spirit-filled Christian. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to obey His command. It's your nature. It's your new nature. You, brother and sister, will obey the commands of God because they are written in your heart. Now, if the Mosaic law was written in your heart, if the Mosaic law was in your mind and your heart, imagine the consequences. Have you read Leviticus? Have you read Numbers and Deuteronomy? The dietary restrictions alone would overwhelm you. What to wear, what not to wear. The hundreds of rules, they would overwhelm your conscience. We would be miserable. Remember the law. The law revealed us, revealed to us our sin. Right? The, the law showed us our desperate need for a Savior. Galatians tells us that the law was put in charge to what? To lead us to Christ. But here's what the author of Hebrews also has to say about the law. He says, The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect. And a better hope is introduced. What's the better hope? Jesus. Better hope is introduced by which we, hallelujah, draw near to God. Praise the Lord. Jesus made a way where there seemed to be no way. And it's important to realize the new covenant that was brought on by Jesus and his blood is new. It's new. It's not a dressed up version of the old. It's new. The new is different. The new is simple. Jesus was the 
perfect fulfillment of the law. And he has set us free. He set us free. He set up a new covenant where we no longer live by the flesh, but we live by the the spirit. Uh, This is what Romans 8 tells us. Listen to this. Therefore, this is beautiful. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. We are made right with God who do not live according to the sinful nature, but say it with me, but live according to the spirit. Remember in the Old Testament, remember all those sacrifices, right? To make atonement for the sins of the people. Remember how they had to perform them again and again and again. How the temple and the priests, they were just covered in blood, dripping with blood. I want to read a passage from Hebrews. Listen, listen for the new, listen for the new. Listen to how Jesus came in as our high priest and he changed everything. Day after day, every priest stands. Remember that word, stands. Stands and performs his religious duties again and again and again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, he's talking about Jesus. When this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice, say one. One one sacrifice for sins. He sat down. I love that at the right hand of God. Where they stood day after day after day, dripping in blood. Jesus, one sacrifice. He did it. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Hallelujah. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one, say one, one, one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are the holy ones. That's us. He fulfilled the law as the perfect sacrifice once and for all. And he has made us perfect in him. It's a new covenant by his blood. By Jesus' one sacrifice, he changed everything. And listen, church, this high priest, this son of God, Jesus Christ, the one who has made us perfect, has a new command for us. It is to love others as he has loved us. And I say all this to bring you freedom. Freedom. As someone who has been washed by the blood of the Lamb, someone who doesn't just listen to the Word, but someone who is a doer of the Word, I want to encourage you. You aren't looking intently into hundreds upon hundreds of rules and regulations. No, you are looking intently into the perfect law. To love God, to love others, to even love others as Christ loves you. This is His command, and His commands are not burdensome. That's what you're bound by as a Christian. That's what is written on your heart. You're not bound by rules and regulations. As a Christian, this is awesome. You are bound by love, by Jesus' sacrifice. Love compels you. Love motivates your heart. Love moves you. It takes you from just being a hearer of the word into a doer of the word, where you're not just all talk without the walk. You're not just looking so religious like a Pharisee on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. No, instead, love moves you into being a doer of the word. Praise the Lord. You don't do those things to try to get into heaven. You're not trying to earn your favor with God. No, you put your faith into action as a love response to the Father of love. Amen. You guys enjoying this? I'm enjoying it. This is awesome. Verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress 
and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So here again, James is letting us in on the fruit of a transformed life. Transformed life that is changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. One that has allowed that implanted word to grow and produce fruit. This is one that, he says, keeps the tight rein on our tongues. That's a tough one, but tight rein on our tongues, looks after orphans, takes care of widows, and keeps ourselves from being polluted by the world. Now that's not an exhaustive list. There's many other fruits of a transformed life. James talks about some. Uh, the New Testament mentions others. But I think it's important to pay attention to the specific areas that he is addressing here. You can see by his language that there's an intentionality that he's addressing specific struggles that he sees with his own eyes. He says, hey, people, you who look so religious, you who have that footprints poster in your bathroom, you have the greatest hits of Chris Tomlin on your iPod, you who have the Honk If You Love Jesus bumper sticker on your Ford, you, watch your mouth. <laughs> Rain it in. You look so religious. You want to live the life that is pure and faultless? You want true religion? You take care of the orphan and the widow and stop succumbing to the temptations of this world. Boom. (laughs) I mean, he saw people that looked so religious and yet the orphans aren't being taken care of. The widows are left in their need. These Christians aren't doing anything about it. Even though the God they worship, the God they follow, tells us in Deuteronomy 10.18 that He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. James knows that verse. They know this verse. But as he looks out across the landscape, he's struggling to find anyone who's actually following in the footsteps of God. These people, they are out of step with the heart of God. So that's 2,000 years ago. Sometimes it's kind of exactly how it looks these days, huh? I see people around me who look so religious, talking a good game, frequent shoppers at the Christian bookstore. And yet, they see a need, and they hardly do anything about it. This type of person, they're all top, right? They're good at talking about church, talking about what's wrong with the church, talking about what the church should do or what the church shouldn't do. When all along, the Holy Spirit within them is trying to wake them up, to stir them up, reminding them that they are the church, that they are the body of Christ, that we are the church. We're the church, the Holy Spirit within us, within you, within me, wants to remind us of this truth this morning, remind us to live in this new nature according to the Spirit, according to God's love, according to His grace that has conquered death and saved our souls, that we wouldn't just talk the talk, but we would walk the walk, that we would be the church. That as spirit-filled Christians, with the word of God implanted within us, we will do the things that God has called us to do. We will follow the instructions of James. And following the instructions of James, it will just be the overflow of our lives. Right? We're not going around trying to rein in the tongue and take care of all the kids and look after all the widows because we're trying to get into heaven. You know, doing a little checklist to try to get into God's eternal dwelling. No, we would do these things because we're Christians. Because we are spirit-filled believers who do the things that Christians do. That's good. Right? It's just the overflow of our lives. You know, there's two groups of people in the church. In every church, big or small, two groups. There's one that sits back on the sidelines, observes, critiques with a religious spirit that overlooks so holy and righteous. And their words and actions, my friends, they are out of step with the heart of God. But then there's another group 
another group, those who realize that God has them on this earth for a reason, for a purpose, a calling in their lives for something bigger than themselves. And they take ownership. They accept responsibility that they are the church. The church isn't just a building or a registered nonprofit. It's a gathering of the body of Christ and that the church goes out not just on Sunday mornings, but every morning the church goes out and shines the light of Christ wherever we go. You know, one of the greatest signs of health that is being created here at LifeSpring is all the wonderful things that are being done in this community that I had nothing to do with. I want to say that again. One of the greatest, for me, just views of health in this church is all the things that the church is doing that I didn't come up with. You want to see an unhealthy church? Go where the congregation has their arms folded. Just wait and see what the pastor's going to do. And then if he happens to do something... They just tell him what he did wrong or give him advice on how to do it. People are always so willing to give advice to the one person that's actually doing something. Have you noticed that? It drives me nuts. That destructive spirit exists in so many churches. But what I love about Lifespring Church is even if I was a pastoral duck, you know what that is? You, 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 you save the six bucks or whatever. You go to the fireworks stand. You buy that really cool one that's going to go up in the air. You light the fuse. It goes... And then it doesn't go. You got a dud, right? <laughs> Even if I was the $6 dud, I, I got to say this. The light of Christ would still shine in this community through Fife, Milton, and Edgewood and beyond because the Holy Spirit is in this church. This is the Holy Spirit-empowered church. I can't contain you. I can't control you. I can't hold you down. This church is filled with the inextinguishable fire of the Holy Spirit that is reaching people for Christ. I love that. Just the past couple of weeks, I have a lit. I want to read you a lit. Just thing after thing after thing that you guys have been doing. Pastor Adam, the outreach team, they've been praying about their next outreach at the apartments. A new men's leadership team, which I'm really excited about. They ordered 50 books, 50 books for their next men's group, praying about God and praying to God that he would bring in men like never before. Uh, a new women's group just started Wednesday night to complement the one that we have on Thursday morning. A new life group by Alan Kelly Lynn uh, started meeting on Friday night. This past week, one of, this is goosebump territory. One of our children's workers, one of our volunteers, spoke into existence, said it out loud, the vision of maybe doing a, a vacation Bible school this summer. That give anybody else goosebumps? Uh, one of us, get this, one of us went out two weeks ago down to Los Angeles to do street ministry. Six of you decided to go to Ghana. Three of you for two months. Our kids' ministry is working out the details to be able to bless Mill Ridge Retirement Center once a month by actually going over and having the kids read to the senior citizens there. A married couple, they're in their training. They just went to another training this last week to become foster parents. Just yesterday, 16 of our guys spent the entire day, all day Saturday, learning how to be sexually pure in a sexually immoral society. That's just what's happened in the last couple of weeks. That's only the surface, right? Only the surface of true religion. True religion that, by the way, God accepts. And again, we don't do this to try to be a Christian, try to earn our way into God's good graces or to get into heaven. But this is a response of a people who has the deposit of the Holy Spirit within us. It's the response of a new creation who has the word implanted firmly in our lives. The question to you this morning is, what about you? Who are you? Are you a Christian or not? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you living the born-again life that was made available by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Or are you still 
living on your own, by your own merit, trying to make it to God on your own works, your own righteousness, which again to God is like filthy rags. Are you a Christian or not? If you're not, I just want you to know God loves you. He's made a way for you. Yes, you're a sinner. Yes, God cannot tolerate your sin. But out of His great love for you, He sent His Son to die for you. To die for your sins. To forgive you of your sins. And He wants you to be a part of His family today. If that's you, I want to pray for you in just a little bit. If you're a Christian, the question is, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Embrace the new you. Drop the baggage. Drop the excuses. Lay them down. Stop living for this world. The old is gone. The new has come. It's time to no longer be just a hearer of the word. Guess what, church? You've heard enough. You don't need another sermon to start doing. You've read the words of Jesus. The spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit is within you. You have all you need. It's time to stop just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Not, again, as an attempt to earn your salvation, but as a result of your salvation. We are Christians, life spring. Let's start acting like one. You know, I'm so excited to be your brother in Christ. I love LifeSpring Church. I'm excited to be a part of a community that puts our faith into action. LifeSpring, I just say this, continue to walk in a posture that says, God, have your way in me. Right? God, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. God, you lead me. God, you guide me. God, we want to be a church that says yes. A church that says yes. God, that we be a church that says yes. Say yes to God this morning.